Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Um, I just want to introduce myself a little bit because a lot of you know me, but a lot of you also don't know me super well because we've had some new people come. And so, uh, as Heather said, my name is Derek. I've been here on staff for almost four years now, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but I consider myself to be a very lucky man. And the primary reason is because I have one of the most amazing families. Uh, my wife, Meg, uh, she's up there. She is my absolute hero. Uh, she can, you know, manage two kids, you know, work. She can get the laundry done, and I struggle to make toast and chew gum at the same time, and she's just doing it all, and so she's awesome. Uh, my wife, or not my wife, my son Ellis right there, he is one of the happiest and funniest kids that I know of, and so it's good to have him back there, and then our newest addition, Miss Parker, uh, Park as we like to call her, she is she is our pride and joy right now, uh, poops a lot, cries a lot, but what else do you do when you're that old? Uh, we all do it circle of life, I guess. Uh, but I also consider myself to be lucky because I've got to experience some really cool things in my life. There's going to be a, a few pictures on the screen. Uh, I just want to highlight some of them because I couldn't even include all of them. I've been able to see the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. Uh, to be able to hike back when I was 14 down here. I made this picture small because I, when I had braces and I was about two feet tall, it wasn't my proudest moment. My wife likes to tell me that I've gotten more attractive with age, so that's always nice to hear. Let's just go with that, okay? Uh, I've been able to visit Fenway Park, as I like to say, in Boston. We went to go see Fenway. That was super fun. One of the coolest experiences of my life was when I was in Israel. Um, I'm actually floating in the, in the Dead Sea right there. Uh, the salt content is so high that you can't sink. It's actually physically impossible for you to sink because the salt keeps your body afloat. And so uh, I'm in about uh, four feet of water right there, and I'm just kind of laying back and letting the water catch me. Really cool experience. Been able to see the Hoover Dam. Uh, on this side of Minnesota, I've been able to see crashed ice, which is downhill ice skating. Super cool experience. Bunch of guys with no teeth and no brains, and it's it's good. It's fun. Uh, but the, the thing I struggle with so much, whenever I go anywhere, whenever I experience anything, the thing I struggle with so much is taking pictures. Because I love to take pictures, but you come back from your vacation, from your trip, and you're trying to show somebody what you experienced. Right, And I find myself literally every single time I show somebody something awesome on my phone, the next phrase comes out of my mouth almost every single time. The pictures just don't do it justice. You know what I'm saying? Like you, like what you experienced, what you felt, how it made you feel, like the, all of the stuff that happened at this particular event or this particular moment, a lens can't possibly capture it all. You know what I'm saying? And so like you, you try and you try and tell somebody what's happening. You try to explain it. You try and relive it for them, but it just it doesn't do it justice. What God is doing in our youth ministry, what God is doing right now, I've tried to capture it with my phone. I've tried to take videos. I've tried to take pictures. I've tried to tell people about it. I physically cannot describe what is happening in the hearts of our youth. It is beyond words. It's captivating. It's amazing. And so this morning, 
We do something called Project 52 once a year. Once a year, every year, Pastor Chris allows me to share his stage, allows me to get up here and do this thing called Project 52. I like to call it the State of the Youth Address, where I get to stand up here before you and tell you what God's doing in our youth ministry, where we're going, what we're doing. And this is my third one, my third Project 52. And I have to tell you with the utmost confidence that I have never stood on this stage more confident, more assured, and more optimistic about what God's doing in the lives of our youth. It is absolutely amazing. And I'm excited to share that with you this morning. But I, we're not really surprised that God's moving in our young people because it's a common theme all throughout the Bible. God loves to use young people to accomplish some of his most crazy things. We see in the Bible uh, the story of David. David is the eighth of eight kids. He's the scrawny little kid who everybody hates and loves to pick on. Okay, they don't like to, they don't like him in the house. They don't like him to be around, so they shove him out into the pastures to take care of the sheep, make sure they don't get eaten, make sure they don't poop in the yard. You know, David is that kid. We all have those kids, right? You know, just go outside. Okay, leave me alone. That was David, but David would become. One of the best kings Israel's ever seen. A man after God's own heart. A man that took down a giant with a slingshot and a few pebbles. We see the story of Esther. Esther becomes a queen of Persia. And Esther was a teenager when she was queen. She's a young lady. And she's having to face this massive king who's trying to kill her people. Who's trying to destroy them and make them slaves. And she as a teenager has to not only lead a nation... But stand up to a king to make sure that that nation can survive. We see Mary, the mother of Jesus. When you look at the historical context of how old she was and when she was getting married to Joseph, she was probably a teenager with the Son of God inside of her. And perhaps one of my favorites, Jesus is teaching in the New Testament, there's 15,000 people listening to him speak. It's the Israeli sun. It's hot. It's humid. There's no food around. But this one little young boy has two little crackers, three little sardines. And God takes his little snack lunch, prays for it, multiplies it, and feeds 15,000 people because the little boy said yes. God is speaking and was speaking to young people from the beginning of time. And the people who said yes, the young people who said, you know what? Yes, God, I will answer the call. Yes, God, I will follow you. I might be a little hesitant. I might be a little scared. I'm not even sure what this is going to entail. But God, I am saying yes to you because you're calling me and I will go. And God is, is, is doing the same thing over and over and over again throughout the Bible. And it begins... All the way back in Genesis, one of the first books of the Bible in Genesis chapter 37. I'm going to relive a story with you this morning. There's going to be words on the screen. You can pull up it on your phone if you want. I am excited for what God's doing in our youth because of this story in Genesis chapter 37. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brother were doing. Uh-oh. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, parents in the building, it is biblical to have favorite kids. That's what we learn here, okay? You always tell me, I love all my kids the same. You're lying, okay? You love them the same, but you don't like them the same. There's a difference. 
there are certain kids you just they don't they don't do anything wrong. They're the angels, right? Then you have kids who aren't the angels, and then you send them to me. That's how it works. My wife loves to talk about favorite cats, but there are no favorite cats. They're all bad cats. Anyway, verse three. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. No, duh, okay? The younger brother is snitching on his older brothers. And not only that, but the dad's made it quite clear he prefers this kid. And let's bring this into our present day. He gives him a robe, right? Okay, that's what you get your mom or your sister or your your mother-in-law on Christmas. We're not talking like robes like we give for Christmas. We're talking like ornate, fancy. And so this is the equivalent of Joseph on his 16th birthday gets a 2021 cherry red Chevy Silverado loaded. Okay? Two miles on it, fresh off the lot. Doing his brother's got a key ring. One day you'll get a car and you can put your keys on this, guys. Here you go. So no wonder they hate him. They're getting snitched on. His younger brother's getting all the treatment. It's no wonder they hate this guy, okay? And it gets worse. Verse 5. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Good. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before me. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed low before me. But this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. God is speaking to Joseph. At this day and age, at this time, dreams were the primary way that God spoke to people. They didn't have churches like this. They didn't have literature and resources of of how God could speak to his heart. The way to hear from God in this time was a dream. A very real dream. To the point where they even had dream interpreters to figure out what these dreams meant. And so God is speaking to Joseph saying, Joseph, I'm going to put you in a place of leadership. Joseph, I'm calling you. You're only 17. You're the youngest kid. But I'm going to put you in a place of leadership. And I'm going to make you lead people. And so in his excitement, he tells his brothers, Hey, all you suckers are going to have to bow down to me. I hate this kid, okay? Imagine, so again, those are these kids. Your youngest kid who loves to stir the pot. What if he egged on his older brothers and said, hey, I'm going to be the one with a wife that is way more attractive than your wives. I'm going to be rich. going to have a mansion. And one day all you guys will be living in my basement because you're going to be so poor that you can't do anything else about it. How well will that go over? Probably about as well as it did in the Old Testament, okay? Here we go. Younger brothers, all right, at this point, they're seeming mad. They're super mad. They're so sick of this kid, they consider killing him. Literally. Verse 23. 
Joseph runs out to them in the pasture to go hang out with them. And when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him in the cistern. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. But they go, "Uh uh-oh, maybe we shouldn't kill this guy. In verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. That's why we shouldn't do it because we have to cover it up, not because it's wrong. Anyways, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. They were so mad at him that they wanted to kill him. But they decided, we'll make him a slave instead. So for those of you who have struggled at home, at least you're not this bad, okay? At least your kids don't want to literally kill each other, hopefully. If they do, let's talk. At age 17, Joseph hears a word from God. You will be a leader. You will lead nations. I will use you for my purposes. And at age 17, he has this dream. And he's immediately met with jealousy, scorn, disappointment from his dad. To make matters worse, a few days later, this dream of you're going to be a leader, it's hard to be a leader when you're being taken as a slave at 17. The Egyptians take him over back to Egypt. They go south, way, way, way south into Egypt for miles and miles and miles, way far away from home. The Egyptians take him for a while and use him for grunt work until they eventually sell him to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar was a servant and a helper to King Pharaoh. And so Potiphar brings in Joseph and realizes Joseph's actually a talented kid. Joseph's got a good work ethic. Joseph's a good kid. I'm going to make him run my property. While I'm I'm doing stuff helping for Pharaoh, I'm going to have make sure that Joseph takes care of my house and takes care of my affairs. So Joseph, all of a sudden now, is, is getting some influence. He's getting some way with the world. He's having some success. And all of a sudden, then Potiphar's wife starts to get some googly eyes for Joseph. The kind of googly eyes where they say, hey Joseph, Potiphar's not home right now. Let's go to the back and play some Scrabble, okay? They're they're not playing Scrabble. Are we all aware of this? Okay? Just want to make sure we're aware that there's no actual Scrabble being played. Over and over and over again. Let's go back. Let's go do this. And over and over and over again, Joseph's saying, you know, no, no. I have too much loyalty. I have too much respect for God. I have too much respect for Potiphar. I'm not going to do that to him. Well, finally, she becomes so desperate to the effect that she says, you know what? I'm going to just take this guy by force. So she grabs him by the robe and says, get over here now. And so now, Joseph is going, this lady's a psycho, okay? Let's run out as fast as we can, so fast that he literally runs out of his robe, runs outside, probably buck naked, running away from this lady, and here she is holding this robe. He's trying to do the right thing. He's running away from her, and by doing the right thing, it actually hurt him. Because now Potiphar's wife feels embarrassed. She feels, boy, now now I really look bad. Now this is embarrassing. So she goes, you know what? I'm going to tell my hubby when he gets home that he tried to sleep with me. 
I'll, I'll frame this on him. I'll, put, I'll make him the bad guy so that I don't have to be the bad guy. And that's what she does. And so Potiphar comes home and Potiphar's like, oh, he, this guy's a dead man. <laughs> he picks him up, throws him in jails for years and years and years. And so Joseph, here he is, called by God, is sitting in jail after over and over again doing the right thing. But he continues to do the right thing. To the point of where he's sitting in jail for years and he starts to get influence with the warden. The warden also realizes Joseph's actually a good guy. Joseph's doing the right thing. Joseph is, is being kind to the prisoners. He's being kind to me. All these guys are having these crazy dreams inside prison and, and Joseph's being able to interpret them. He's a good guy. But for years he sits in jail. Until finally, we see in the Bible that one day Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, Egypt is one of the most powerful nations in the world, so if you're Pharaoh, you are the head honcho of the world, is having these troubling dreams. Keeps having these dreams in the night that wake him up, doesn't know what they mean. So he said, I need, I need the best dream interpreter, interpreters to come and interpret these dreams. They bring all the guys, not, none of it makes sense. So finally the warden gets news of this and says, you know what, I've got a guy in prison who can interpret these dreams well. I've seen it. Pharaoh says, bring him up. So in the Bible we see that Pharaoh comes up, brings up Joseph, tells him the dream, and Joseph says, you know what, I know exactly what this is saying. God is saying to you, Pharaoh, you're about to have seven years of a plentiful harvest. You're about to have so much grain, so much food, that you have to build storage barns in order to have it all. But be careful, because you're going to have seven years of this. But after those seven years, everything is going to die. You're going to have a famine. There's going to be no food anywhere. And so be wise with this time. Make sure you steward it. Make sure you hide it. Make sure you put stuff away so that those seven years of famine, you can survive. And so Pharaoh goes, you know what? You're a genius. I want you up here by me. I want you as my right-hand man, the viceroy of Egypt. So like the dream says, for seven years they had crop and crop and food and food and food. They didn't know what to do with it all. But after those seven years, everything dried up. No food anywhere. But they had food in Egypt because of the provision of God and because they were prepared. But this famine went all the way north into Israel. And so at 30 years old, here is Joseph who is sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh, who is essentially running the country because Pharaoh is doing big picture stuff, but Joseph's taking inventory. He's making sure everything. He is essentially in command of Egypt. When all of a sudden his brothers, who are from Canaan and Israel, had realized they're going to die, and they have heard an inkling that Egypt has a ton of food. So they make the trek down to Egypt. And just like the promise and the prophecy and the dream of God said, they came down to their brother, knelt before him and bowed down to him and said, will you please have mercy on us? Would you please give us some food? Scholars believe that when this happened, Joseph was 30 years old. For 13 years, 
Joseph had this dream of God. He had this, this calling of God in his life that said, you know what? I will use you in leadership. I will use you to accomplish my purposes. I will use you to save my people. I will make you so influential that one day when someone comes after you, you will have laid the groundwork to lead my people out of slavery. God is saying, I will use you powerfully. And for 13 years, Joseph believed it. Even when stuff was hitting the fan. Even when stuff wasn't going right. Even when he was in jail. Even when he was being sold as a slave. He stayed committed to the promise of God. Because he knew it was God who called him. And I am fully convinced that right here and right now, we have some Josephs in our youth ministry. We have some Josephs in our community who God is saying, I will use you. You're broken, you're flawed, just like the rest of us. But if you will say yes to me, I will use you to accomplish things far and above that you can possibly imagine. There's going to be setbacks, there's going to be things that happen in your life. But if you stay committed to the call of God... I will use you powerfully. I get goosebumps thinking about what is going to be happening in the next 5, 10, 15 years in St. Francis. What's going to be happening beyond these walls when these students who I see in my very midst start to understand who they are and they finally start to get and grasp how powerful they are when they just let God have their way in their life. It is a powerful, powerful image. And it's no wonder Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. God continues to stir the hearts of our youth. We see it in Joseph all the way back 2,000 years ago. And we're seeing it now. 2019-2020 was easily one of the hardest years that this community has seen in a long time. Global pandemic hits. Schools shut down. There's all, all kinds of crazy stuff happening. 2019-2020, it was the hardest year, year of youth ministry across the board. In St. Francis, in, 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 in all of Minnesota, across the board. I'm talking to pastors, I'm talking to youth pastors, I'm talking to people all over in my world who are all saying the same thing. This is one of the toughest and craziest things we've ever seen. But can I tell you what God was doing in that craziness? On average, we are uh, on average we are having between thirty and forty students showing up here every single night, which is up by about ten or fifteen students on average this year alone. We're seeing new faces every single week. Friends are bringing friends; those friends are bringing their friends, and they're saying they're they're coming back. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Last year, our students, just your students, gave more to missions, gave more to missions organizations called Speed the Light, which is all about freeing people from human trafficking and, and putting water wells in Africa, they gave around $4,000 just students, which is three times more than they did two years ago. I have to keep buying Bibles for the kids because they say, you know what, I have the stuff on my phone, but I want the real one. I don't have a Bible. You buy me one. Yes, I will. We have students who are saying yes to the call of God. They're saying yes to going and doing things and trying things. They're saying yes that I understand I'm going to bring my friends because I know we all need this. Our leadership team last year was myself, my wife, and Bethany. In the last year, we now have eight leaders 
who are saying, yes, I want to help out in this. From all different age range, all different experiences, and the kids love it. I did the math this week. Students who call the Bridge Church their home, who call the Bridge Youth their home, are well over 100 students. They don't all show up on the same night, but the kids I can think of vividly who come here frequently are well over 100 kids. And they continue to make history in June of this year for the first time in the history of the Bridge Church I am taking eight students down to Phoenix, Arizona on a mission trip but we're going to go do anti-human trafficking stuff we're going to learn about anti-human trafficking we're going to go and do stuff on the streets and, and, and get people out of human trafficking because students are saying yes to God they're saying yes I will follow where God is going to take me the ends of the earth. I understand. I count the costs. I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's not always going to be flawless. I know there's going to be setbacks. But I'm staying committed to what God's calling me to do. And a lot of times I, I love to tell these stories and tell, tell people what God's doing and they always say, man, you're doing a great job. This has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with what God is doing in our youth ministry. And God is continuing to challenge and stir the hearts of our youth. And as their pastor, he's stirring my heart as well. I believe in the last year I felt over and over and over and over and over and over and over again this message. And the students in the room will understand this because we have been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. But I believe that God is calling our students to go deep. I believe God is calling our students to be anchored. I don't want them to get so inundated, so used to what I say that when they get to college, when they become young adults, when they become adults, they just regurgitate what I told them. I want them to take it for themselves. I want them to eat, to digest it, to really understand what it means for them to live for Jesus. What it means to accept Jesus into to their heart so that they can learn how to chase after God themselves. I want them to be anchored in who they are, anchored in who God is because there will be a day when like Joseph, they come face to face with opposition. They come face to face with stuff that's going to try and derail their faith walk and they can confidently say, I don't know what's happening but I'm trusting God to bring me through. That is what I want. That is what God is calling us to do. Pizza parties are great. Outreaches are good. Giveaways are good. Giving away Xboxes. Coming to church is all awesome stuff. But I don't want them to walk out of these doors as a senior in high school not knowing how to chase after God. Not knowing how to find God. Not knowing how to worship God. I don't want them to walk out into the real world not knowing what they believe. I want them to walk out into the world ready for what God's going to bring them to. What God's going to bring them through. If they're anchored in who he is. And that has been our mission. To equip, to enable, and to empower our youth to go after God on their own. And the amazing thing is he's, he's doing it. He's moving. I have been so pumped for this message for this little paragraph right here on my notes. Because this last Wednesday was another historic night at the Bridge Youth. I was gone for two weeks on paternity leave having our little girl. I wasn't sure if the kids were going to take off. I wasn't sure if they'd be like, eh, I'm kind of getting sick of youth. But our numbers have been high again. The numbers are great. It's not sitting here going, hey, we have 42 kids. Look how awesome we are. Those are 42 souls who need Jesus. And they have an opportunity to hear Jesus and respond. And this Wednesday night they did. 
Like I just told you, I was talking about going deep in their faith. I was talking about what it means to just go after God with all that they are. To really dig into their faith for their own. And at the very end, I prayed and I said, Who in this room? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Maybe you're not even sure what you believe. Maybe you have believed in Jesus once, but maybe you're trying to get right back on track. Who in this room was just wants Jesus in your life for the first time? And six hands went up. In one night, six. And it's not six the number, it's talking with one of my leaders after. Because I thought it was four, but I missed two hands. I was talking to my leader and he goes, you know what, I've been praying for my kid for years that he would accept Jesus. He was one of the ones that accepted into his life. Another five students, I said, who's ready to go all in for their faith? Maybe you believed in Jesus before. Maybe you would say, yes, I believe in God, but you're ready to go all in and, and just really go after God with all that you are. Another five hands went up. The kids are moving and they're responding to God. That was Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I woke up to a text from another youth pastor friend of mine in Indiana. He said, Derek, I was praying for you this morning and I believe in my heart of hearts that God is saying to you, I'm not finished yet. So keep going, keep praying. Four hours later, Thursday, as I'm writing this message, I'm literally three paragraphs into this message and I get this text from a parent who says, hey, I just want to let you know God is working in my child's life. As she is listening to the Bible app every evening and we had the most amazing conversation after youth group about her relationship with Jesus growing every day. She also mentioned her friend who needs prayer right now as she is struggling with being new to church and doesn't have the best home life as well. However, God's working in her as she was responding to the prayer and my daughter reached out to her and gave her a hug after the message on Wednesday night. This has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with God moving in our youth and God responding and then responding to God. Pictures may not do it justice they can tell a story. They can tell a story. Every Wednesday night, I'm going to take you through what happens here from start to finish. From the moment our kids hit the parking lot, we want them to know they're seen. We want them to know they're appreciated. We want them to understand that this is a safe place. And so we have leaders. We have people at the door ready to smile. We have high fives and goofy looking pastors who make faces like that. Okay, We have people ready to say, you know what, this is a safe place. The moment they walk in, there's music pumping. We're outside hanging out when there's not four feet of snow. We can go to the Gaga Ball pit. We have little beanbag cornhole games up here, which a couple weeks ago we got beanbags onto the projector, so I'm not quite sure how that happened. Uh, But that happened, and we have a good time. We smile. There's life here. At 6.30, we officially start youth group, and there's games that are super fun. The smiles are crazy. They're energetic. They're real. We have so much fun playing games. And then I get an opportunity after games to preach a message, a message that's real, about their real life, maybe what they're going through, what life has been like for them. They get a chance to hear how God loves them. Derek, I, I come from this, I did that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're loved, you're seen, you have purpose, you have value. They hear that every single Wednesday. And then my favorite part, the greatest part of the entire night, is the thing behind me. Their response. 
I don't do youth ministry because I want to feel good about myself. I want to do youth ministry so they can have an opportunity to do this. They can have an opportunity to respond to what God is doing in their life where they're at. Adults, church, I have no doubt that God is speaking in your life just as much as He's speaking to them. I have no doubt this is not just youth students. This is God speaking to all of us this way. You guys can bring the lights back up too. Thanks. And whether you know it, whether we know it, whether they know it, God is not done yet. We're just getting started. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So what's our response? God's moving. The harvest is there. God is ready to just blow the roof off this place. He's ready. He's moving. He's moving in spite of us, not because of us. And so what is our response? Last year, my prayer, my heartbeat at Project 52 was, would you please consider being on team? My prayer was, God, would you please bring a team because we can't sustain this many kids without a team. We need people. And God answered that prayer. We have an amazing team. We have eight people that I love doing ministry with. God answered our prayer. But what is our response to this? What is our response to what God's doing? What is our response as adults? Are we going to be like Joseph's dad, Jacob, who says like, what does this dream mean? There's no way that's happening. Are we going to be like his brothers who say, I don't believe that. No, I'm not good with that. What is our response? My big ask of you this year is not for teams, is not for anything more than I need prayer. We need prayer. If you would commit to helping us pray every single week. Maybe if you're driving home on Wednesday, you go, hey, it's Wednesday. I'm going to pray for the youth ministry tonight. I believe God is moving in our midst. You've probably heard that over and over again for the last 30 minutes. I know He's moving. But the thing is, I can't make the kids do anything. It's not meant to be that way. Only God can stir their hearts. So would you pray for our kids? You probably don't know their names. You might. Pray that God would move in their heart. Pray that they'd at least be open to it. I'm not looking for perfect robots who can say the right things. If that's what we do, we're doing the wrong thing. I'm looking for kids who genuinely want to understand who He is. Who genuinely want to worship Him, to love Him, to serve Him with their life. And the other big ask I have of you, we call it Project 52 for a reason. There are 52 weeks in a year. The budget that I have for youth ministry from the church can sustain about eight kids. That's about what I had when I got here. The budget was fine at that point. We're a little bigger than eight by this point. Okay? A little bigger. Which is awesome. God is moving. And it's because Project 52 for years has kept us going. Project 52, we call it Project 52 because I'm asking you if you will consider doing 52 bucks for the year. A dollar a week. You can maybe do it every week. You come in here. You can do it all at once. You don't even have to do it. This is not a requirement. This is not a do this or else I'm going to be mad and I always tell my kids that Josh is going to spit in their face. Nothing like that. But the cool thing is Project 52 is what allows us to do what we can do. Project 52 is the reason we can give scholarships to kids who normally couldn't go to camp. 
And that when they go to camp, they experience God like no other, and it's a trajectory change of their life because of what they experience, because of people like you who sponsored them and sent them to camp. Project 52 allows me to buy Bibles for kids who say they want to come. Project 52 allows me to buy a gaga ball pit and volleyball nets and do things that are... are, The thing is, I want youth group to be something enjoyable. I don't want them to come in here and sit down and sing Kumbaya, hold hands and read the Bible, okay? That doesn't work. I want this to be a place they can call home and they can make their own. We went to a training a couple weeks ago with our missions team and we saw the youth building and our kids went... It was awesome. It was cool. They felt like this could be their place. And they said, why can't we get a youth room? So we're working on it. Project 52 is what allows us to do what we do. It allows us to outreach and do things. It allows us to disciple. Kyle, you can come on up. We're going to wrap this thing up. If I were to sum up what Project 52 does... If I were to sum up what my passion, what my heartbeat, what I want to do in this youth ministry for the next 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 45 plus years, the thing I want the bridge youth to be cornered on, pillared on, foundational on, I want us to be available. I want us to be available when students are going through one of the darkest seasons of their life and they have nowhere to turn. I want us to be available when we're welcoming into these doors for the first time. They're trying to figure out what youth group looks like. I want us to be available when they walk across that stage, grab their diploma, that we can be there to give them hugs and say, you're going to do something awesome in your life. I want us to be available when they're going through the ups and downs of life, the girlfriends, the boyfriends, the breakups, the divorces, all the stuff that they walk through on a daily basis. I want us to be available. Not so that they can grab onto us and say, you guys are the best, you're the you're everything. I want them to understand that Jesus is the one who's going to bring them through. And we are purely the avenue. We are the hands and feet of Jesus moving to be available for what He wants to do. I can't be their Savior. I don't want to be their Savior. I can't. But I can at least set up the appointment. I can at least create an atmosphere where they have an opportunity to say yes to God. We stand on the shoulders of those who have went before us. We stand on the prayers of those who have prayed before us. The reason I'm standing on this stage right now is because there was somebody in my life who saw a calling to love God and serve God. There was a moment in my life where I didn't believe in God, I didn't serve God, I didn't even know what that meant. But because of the prayers, because of the hours, because of the investment of people in my life who have decided to pray for me and pour into me, I've been able to step into the calling of God. I've been able to say, yes, God, this isn't easy. This doesn't make sense. This isn't where I thought I'd be going. But, God, I'm still going to follow you to the ends of the earth. And I've been able to get a front row seat to what God is doing in the hearts of our youth, in the hearts of our adults, in the hearts of the St. Francis community and beyond of those who have went before me who have prayed for me who have paved my way to get here I'm asking you if you will consider to do the same thing 
the cool thing about youth ministry, the cool thing about getting involved with youth ministry, the cool thing about investing in the youth ministry, the cool thing about praying for youth ministry, it's not just the kids now. Because one day there will be kids in our youth ministry right now who are 6th, 7th, 8th graders who don't even maybe love God yet, who aren't even sure who they are, but there might be a day when they stand on the stage just like me who share the same message of God, the same message that God's with you, the same message that God's going to bring you through, the same message that, that everything you need in your life is found through Jesus. That same message will be, be communicated for years and years and years and years and years. And the person communicating it might never know your name, but you are a foundational step to what got them from there to here. And so now you're not only playing a part in their life, you're playing a part in the lives that they're investing into and the lives those lives are investing into. It's an exponential growth. This is not an investment opportunity where you lose it. This is an investment opportunity where you get exponential reward. Not just on this world, but in heaven. I'm asking you to dig into our youth ministry. He's already moving. This is not an if and when God moves. He's already moving. Will we jump behind what he's doing? Because the other thing I need, especially if you parents in here, I get your kids for an hour a week. That is it. If you get an email from me, from a parent, at the end I always tell you that parents is one thing. You are my heroes. Because you are what takes the seed that I plant and you are the one that helps water it. You are the one that helps make it grow. You are the one who is there for them when I can't be. You are my heroes, parents. So get them here. Pour into them. This is not just me doing this. This is a calling and opportunity for you to play a part in your kid's life. Here's what we're going to do. Kylie's going to sing here in just a second. I'm asking for two things this morning. You can give me both, you can give me none, and I'll love you the same. But the first thing is prayer. If you will help me pray for our students, help me to pray for the things in their life that are bringing them down, will you just pray that God would have his way in our youth ministry? I would seriously love that. If you'd be willing to give 52 bucks, maybe you can't do 52, maybe you can do 5. Maybe you can do more than 52 and you feel led to do more than 52. This is between you and God, whatever God's calling you to do. I don't know who gives. I don't want to know who gives. Because I love you all the same. Contrary to what Jacob says, I do love you all the same. But will you consider investing into our youth ministry, whether it be financially or by prayer support? In order to do that, there are envelopes in the back of your seat. There are pens there. If there are no pens, I can see if we can get an usher in here to bring some pens. If you're online with us, you can go on it online. Just make sure you get earmarked that it's for youth ministry or Project 52, whatever you want to do. Whatever you feel led to do. I'm going to turn this over to Kylie. I just want to say on behalf of myself, on behalf of our youth that have been here before who are still going to yet to be here, thank you for caring about them enough to give us a chance to do this. We would not be up here doing what we're doing if it wasn't already for the generosity of our church, the support of our church, the people of our church. This is a team effort. So thank you on behalf of them, on behalf of me. Let's sing together and then hold on to those envelopes if you got them. If you want to, would you please stand and sing with me? There is power in the name of Jesus. 
Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. God, that is what we're looking and praying for, God, that the chains that are binding us as adults, the chains that are binding our students, the things that are bringing us down, God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would break them down, God. Lord, you are here to save us. You're here to help us, God, but not because we're bad people, but because, God, you just want the best for us. So, God, today I pray for everyone who can hear my voice. May they know they are special. May they know that they have purpose. May they know, God, that you can meet their sincerest and deepest needs, God. I pray that whatever you want to do in our youth ministry, whatever you want to do in our adult ministry, whatever you want to do from age two to 200, God. We are expecting that you're going to move. So God, we're saying yes together. We're saying yes no matter what's coming, no matter what we face, God, you will be with us to take us through and take us over. God, we are thankful for you. We love you. We are expecting for you to move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Yes. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.